Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Ho, 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 and welcome to a very Merry Christmas special episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. David, how do we avoid wearing the chains we forge in life? Oof. <laughs> I mean, Dive it into the deep that, end that was you. That was not even a funny question. That was a, That's a true... I would say, how do we avoid it? I don't know how everyone avoids it. I feel like people have different different approaches to this but i would say that if you ask me how i would try to avoid it i think good books Mm. good friends yeah and good times (laughs) yes this is a clear allusion to jacob marley's chains that he forged in life which uh if the title of this episode didn't give it away merry christmas we are gonna do back to dickens a christmas carol and how could we not go back to dickens And, of course, yes, Uh, last Christmas we did Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, I was realizing, because especially with Nothing to Fear, the other podcast that I'm on with uh, Billy and Alex, there's like a lot of um, topical movies or or like movies for the time of year. Yeah. Right, like obviously Halloween for October and there's like a a couple Christmas horror movies we did (laughs) for this time of year as well as like there's just like thematic for the time of year and I realized we don't really do that very much except Christmas I think it's only Christmas (laughs) yeah yeah. it's only Christmas we've done like a like Blue Valentine wasn't in February no no (laughs) no, this kind of thing (laughs) we just kind of read or watch what we are feeling at the moment (laughs) yeah exactly but we had to return to Dickens if you listened to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe last year we also did a kind of Fun intro of some holiday cartoons that we remember watching as kids. So last year we did How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Which I will say the new Grinch movie uh, out on Netflix, highly recommend. The newest one? How new new is it? It just came out this year, I think. But I've been told by my niece and nephew, who watched it 19 times, that it is quite good. And then (laughs) I personally watched it yesterday, Mm. and I quite liked it. So highly recommend. Oh, 19. Yeah, because like if if it's anything over 10, it's good. Right, well, I think, (laughs) you know. When you're a kid watching a movie. (laughs) So this year we're going to do a Charlie Brown Christmas, which apparently aired on CBS in 1965. 1965. Yeah, I know. Wow. Uh, and obviously, you and I both watched it a lot as a kid. And then the main one today is A Christmas Carol. And actually, I don't know. Did you know that he wrote five different Christmas stories five years in a row? No. And Christmas Carol was just the first one? I did not. Yeah, so he's, I don't know, for some I mean, reason. He's a prolific writer. Yes. Paid by the word, as we've mentioned before. <laughs> if you and listen to our David every Copperfield, <laughs> David Copperfield yeah. episode, you'll hear Luke attempt to ver- use verbiage to uh, to describe the writing style. Yes, yes, yes. And it's very good. But yeah, I never knew that 
like for some reason in my memory, A Christmas Carol being one of the most associated works with Dickens, I just kind of thought it was a novel. Right. And it's right. not. It's like a short story. Yeah, it's a short yeah. story. It's like only about 60 or 70 pages even. It's almost like uh, the 1800s version of uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Right. They, they tie well thematically. I don't know. I just, did you did you know that he wrote those other, like there's I did not. Five, yeah, so like maybe 1843 to 1848. I don't know. The dates I will. I will confess that I read mine online because uh, mm. I didn't have the book, but I see before us you have the book with the other Christmas story. Yeah, it's a pretty complete edition. So I don't know. It's just kind of fun to think that he's got these other stories that we can yeah, read too. And anyway, that, lo- that question off the top um, is one of the more... I mean, there's a handful of very referenced things. Actually, this whole story is referenced all the time, but Jacob Marley is Scrooge's ex-partner and the chains he wears in life. And that is a idea that got revivified for me in the last decade of my life because there's a song by the Gaslight Anthem. Do you know the Gaslight Anthem? I love the Gaslight yeah, Anthem. Yeah, the 59 sound. And I, can't, I mean, here I am ashamed to bring it up without knowing it verbatim, but the line is something like, can you hear Marley's chains that we forged in life? It's like oh, the end the of the first verse. Is so literary, I love it. They yeah. they do, uh, and they're they, they like movies too. Like uh, they got that one line: "Here's looking at you, kid." Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just which is obviously a reference to Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful little references. Hey? Yeah, all over the place. So. I feel like they they're kind of kindred spirits. <laughs> yes. Or whoever, what's the guy's name again? Brian. Brian Fallon. Brian Brian Fallon definitely mm-hmm. seems like a kindred spirit. To yeah, he's degree. like um, Bruce Springsteen on ex- existentialism. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, just start going on there. I mean, we want to say thanks very, I mean, 2020 has been a hard year for a lot of people, myself included, and uh, we really appreciate everyone listening and enjoying it. Uh, well, <laughs> there's an assumption. <laughs> <laughs> At least <laughs> listening. Uh, and hopefully you enjoy it. If you um, are interested in getting a hold of us, you can send us email, reallytruefiction at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. We've gotten a few more likes the last couple of days, so that's nice. And requests, anything. Um, and uh, if you're interested, please please do. We will definitely take requests. And um, we're really actually starting to get to the point where we're going to probably st- have guests more regularly. So if you're even interested in being a guest, let us know. Yeah, I think this is the, I mean, we've had one guest so far, but I think we have three guests lined up now. So that's uh, exciting. And if we play our cards right, our next two recordings will be with guests. Yes. So yes. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Exactly. And fun. Yeah, if you listen to us on any platform that can do ratings or reviews, we'd really appreciate one. That would help us to move up the charts. We actually got a really nice one. Yeah, yeah. It's- I mean, it's nice to see people enjoying it. I think Mm -hmm. uh, fundamentally we're doing this because we enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you guys enjoy it just is that it adds so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it makes it richer. It makes it feel like we're part of a community as as opposed to just a one-on-one conversation. And even just when I have close friends of mine send me a little message saying, oh, I liked liked the point you made about this in this episode or I liked your conversation on that. It's just... uh, you know, the Christmas spirit. Exactly. <laughs> it's, the little things that... it's nice to have friends out there who are, yeah. you know, listening to what exactly, we're doing. Exactly, exactly. So before we dive in, just very Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year to your family and you. And hope that um, the future is something <laughs> that uh, is after Scrooge's third vision and not before. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, let's hope. <laughs> so, yeah, before we do a Christmas carol, though, um, why don't you, David, just tell us a little bit about your uh, incipient memories of a Charlie Brown Christmas. Did you watch this much as a kid? Uh, yeah, I think we watched it almost every year. My dad, I think my dad probably watched it every year because it would have come out when he was a kid. Mm. Um, I guess quite a young kid, and he loved it, and so he would always put it on every year. We had a recording of it that we would watch, and I think the most vivid memory I have of it is kind of Linus and his blanket, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and how much, I mean, at the time when I was little, I had a blanket myself that I kind of carried around and I loved. And and, and how it, he uses it for everything. Yeah, and, and also, like, I so desperately wanted to be able to throw snowballs like he can. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. with, like a slingshot. Like, he turns his blanket into a slingshot. Yeah. And he, he's quite a bullseye quite, every quite time. an expert with that. So I remember being very jealous of him in, in that regard. But also how that blanket, when he wraps it around the bottom of the tree, it kind of brings the tree to life. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. And and what that always... Made, like it's support. You see that little tree and it does look kind of pathetic. And you and you get the... I mean, as a kid, you just feel these visceral emotions of kind of sadness at that little thing that was... It's so weak and, and empty. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't even have very many branches. And the fact that he still shows that love mm-hmm. right and he's like all it needs is a little love mm-hmm. i think that's true for all of us and i mean especially i mean this christmas i don't know what what everyone's situation is uh but a lot of people aren't going to be able to be with their families this christmas mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people are going to be lonely yeah in, a, in an even deeper way than i think i've had christmases even with family where i felt lonely because of something whatever's going on right christmas is such a time of reflection i think and for a lot of people that reflection isn't positive right and so i think i guess my encouragement would be that we all all wrap that little blanket around whoever we can <laughs> whether they whether they f- we feel like they need it or not because yeah. yeah there's there's a lot of need for love and all all we all need is a little bit of love well yeah and this year being a kind of year where uh, it's just everything is off, you know. This is just an off year, and it—I guess it's mirrored. It's—it's it's appropriate we're doing this one because one of the very first lines that Charlie Brown has in the thing is, "I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel." Exactly, <laughs> you know. So exactly. he's like swimming in his own anomie, yeah, right from the beginning. And uh, I just think that that's an appropriate aspect of this particular um, little short. And yeah, I—I I remember as a kid, we had it taped as well. So, <laughs> children. Just gather around. Once upon a time in the early 1990s. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, there were these things called VCRs. Which... <laughs> and and um, well before streaming sites yeah. that had everything made to humans at your fingertips, if there was like something on TV and you wanted to have it, you'd have to record it off of TV, you know? So, so I don't know if you had this. You probably did. We had tons of videotapes that were just unlabeled blank tapes that we recorded TV shows or yep. movies off of. Oh, yeah. So that, like, if you wanted we to watch it. We had a lot it, of Mr. Dress Up recorded. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. So if Because if you wanted to watch it, again, later, yeah, you, you couldn't unless you had a recording or you, like, bought the the, the VHS set. And we weren't going to do that. Yeah. And so um, do you remember the tracking? Oh, <laughs> like, yes. Tracking to make sure, like, the... Anyway, just it's funny how 
maybe more than any other thing charlie brown christmas reminds me of um of v- that yeah of the vcr tape o- taping true. over because tracking you commercials on yours too no because you'd have to pause at the commercials oh, right. yes yes <laughs> and i think actually i'm watching it through this time we missed one of them oh. because there was like a section i just totally didn't remember <laughs> as a kid it wasn't very long it was only like two minutes right maybe. but you're like what's this <laughs> yeah, which exactly. section was it it was near the beginning oh okay. it was like from when charlie brown kind of leaves his house it's like after the opening where they're skating and he's leaving his house until he gets to like around the Lucy to talk right. about the psychiatrist stuff. Right. So right. anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I remember I watched this a lot. You know, it's interesting, again, being this far removed from as a kid watching this, because I probably haven't seen Charlie Brown Christmas, maybe 20 years. Yeah. Or maybe 15 to 20 years. Right? <laughs> it's been a long time. I've got a lot more life experience. And you just... um. You look at Charlie Brown and Lucy, and actually most of the kids in this, and you just kind of feel, except Linus, they're all just kind of missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, true. And yet, like, look, it's a CBS national broadcast. It's not that sophisticated, but I still found myself feeling a little bit like, well, there's some, there's some stuff here. Like, there's some thoughtful thing. Like, never mind Lucy's, all of her, <laughs> you know, which phobia do you have? Yeah, like, yeah. All, like, I'm just, I guess I mean the things I never would have got as a kid, right? right? Like, there are a number of things in this that just would have gone way over my head as a kid. Not as much as, like, Calvin and Hobbes, but definitely some. And I guess I liked how whoever wrote this, I mean, I, maybe it was Charles Schultz who wrote the special. I'm not sure. I could have looked that up, but <laughs> not our style. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They just kind of paint, they paint Charlie Brown as sarcastic and detached and kind of like, I want to be the boss. They paint Lucy as this kind of violent uh, or like aspiring violent know-it-all who just wants to also be in charge. Kind of, it feels like there's like, she wants to be the alpha. Yeah. And then Sally, Charlie's sister, is entitled, I just want, I just want what's mine. I just want what's coming to me. (laughs) You know? And then all the kids are undisciplined in the uh, school play. Oh, like, yeah, they're, they're, they just want to dance around. All, yeah. There's the girl with the curly hair who wants to be vain. Yes. Right? There's the pig pen who just, look at my dust. I'm the ancient <laughs> civilization. Right? Uh, even Snoopy is a little bit like self-glorifying. Look at my commercial house. So anyway, all of that is that basically every character, except Linus, has these things about them that are kind of unattractive and unchristmassy and yet it's the spirit of christmas that kind of gives them the ability to forgive charlie brown and to have the tree right and to sing hark the herald angels sing at the end so like even before we talk about why linus was able to help them with that which is like the point of this thing like what did like how did you see that contrast between how they all were like throughout most of this little special towards how they were at the end I think I really like what I think the message is supposed to be here. I guess in some ways it feels like an old message because it used to be, oh, Christmas has just become commercialized and that's a bad thing. I feel like Christmas has been utterly commercialized now. Like In the 1960s, it was like at least some people were saying, oh, what's happened? Now it's just everyone's kind of bought in. Not everyone. I won't say that. And I did. I think we've talked about this maybe before, but like, I think I bought it. I I mean, I wouldn't say that I ever commercialized it myself, 
but I remember that I think I've told this story on the podcast before. One Christmas, I think I must have been twelve or thirteen. I was so excited about this mystery gift that was sitting in the uh, in the closet, and I wasn't even allowed to go look. Yes, at it. yeah, yeah, yeah. The skis, and right? It was the skis, yeah. and I was just devastated because I had my expectations were through the roof. Which we've talked about how expectations can ruin happiness, but like that's really com- commercialization of of Christmas, right? It's like, what am I gonna get, right? I just want what's coming to me, mm-hmm. and. It, it comes down to this prevalent view in society that the most important thing in the world is my own happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's killing our happiness. Uh, sorry, uh, Christmas or the... No, the, that, the that mentality right, okay. that is being criticized, mm. I think, here. Because really, right. the problem is nothing beautiful can be done for the play because nobody wants to sacrifice their immediate desires. Right. Yeah. Which is, I mean, because learning a play is hard, right? I mean, I remember growing up. I love this. Every Christmas, we would do a Christmas pageant at our church, and we would sing songs. But mm. for months, who are you be, usually? Oh, one of the lead singing guys, uh, of or course, something. Of course. Or, I, I always had to be a shepherd. <laughs> I was definitely always a shepherd. Yeah, ours were like more. I don't know. Like they were like musicals. Like oh, little. Okay. Like they weren't. They were Christmas themed, but they like were long productions. It was not like the nativity. No, okay. well, there was a nativity usually, but we also would have these big productions. Okay, got it, got it. Because we had a lot of kids, so there'd be like 20, 30 kids up there with sure. a few adults. Right, right, right. They were a lot of fun, and, and I always really enjoyed them, but they took a lot of work, and my mom would have to sit there with me memorizing my lines, and, you know, this isn't something you could just throw together on a whim when, when it's a... But it was so much fun, and it's such a good memory for me, but it took discipline and it took working together with other people, right? And I don't know. I guess my feeling of it is I think that's a lot of what Christmas should be about, right? Is other people, not ourselves. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think most of the people who are the most miserable on Christmas are the ones who are thinking about themselves and mm. stuck in their own heads. That's a good point because actually, like that's a that's a probably more concise way of phrasing what I was dancing around there is every character is in some kind of fashion figuring out how to make it about them. Yeah, exactly. Right? Charlie Brown is tr- even though all the kids are being undisciplined and not trying to and not sacrificing and working hard to make a good play. He's not being a good director. No, he's no. just saying you have to do what I say. I'm the director. <laughs> I'm yeah. in control. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, the worst possible way yeah, to give yeah. any kind of direction. Yeah. Um, and Lucy is not that different. She's actually more aggressive. I think throughout mo- like Charlie's aggressive when he's in the auditorium. Otherwise, he's more just kind of like uh, depressed and whatever the non-positive form of whimsical is <laughs> you yeah, know? He's, yeah. Like, he's just kind of you know oh woe is me <laughs> he's like a eeyore without the charm <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and and then again sally is here's my list to santa it's a hundred things long you better get it right this time kind of thing and so yeah it is reflective of this uh, i mean it almost seems too easy to say selfishness but i I don't even mean like I I want something good for myself, but just like a a kind of inability to put yourself into anyone else's shoes in any of these moments, which is like part of the humor of why Lucy pretends to be a psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I think, yeah. Like you said, I think it's more intelligent perhaps than it lets on at the beginning. 
yeah. So I think it it was a cool, what would you say, switchover? How <laughs> it was so funny because I can't remember exactly how Charlie says it, but he's like, what's Christmas all about? What's the true meaning of Christmas? This is after they went to go get a tree and <laughs> for some reason all the trees are like made of metal. Yeah, they're all right, aluminum. aluminum. Like, it's <laughs> like, it's like, it was that- a long critic. I think it's a massive criticism of commercialism. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah. well, was that even a thing? Were there just metal I don't trees? Know. Maybe. In the like, 60s? Yeah, that would be weird. And he picks the little tree. They bring it back, and this is when they just really have the final straw. They're done with him. And doesn't anyone know what Christmas is all about? And then Linus says, "Sure, Charlie Brown, I know what Christmas is all about." And then he goes and gets like the spotlight on him. And he quotes, I'm guessing it must be from Luke. I think it's Luke, yeah. Right? The the gospel of Luke in the Bible about for there were shepherds laying in a field or abiding Keeping in a field. watch over their sheep <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. at night. And uh, the payoff line to me in that was, um, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace towards men. And that's kind of like what makes everybody chill out and yeah. have more perspective, right? So I don't know. Like I thought that was interesting. So what do you think about the Linus oh, I mean, monologue? I think there's a couple things I love about it. Um, one is kind of that David Foster Wallace you got to worship something, mm-hmm. right? And we all do. And what what is it that we worship? And I think I've been I've been reflecting on that thought a lot. I've been watching the um, Will Smith with National Geographic documentary on oh. a Netflix. Oh, sorry, on Disney Plus called uh, One Strange Rock. And he narrates it, and he narrates oh, it. Cool. It's essentially, uh, he talks about like the foundations of of how Earth was formed in billions of years ago, and 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 how unlikely it is that life could ever exist on Earth, and all of the myriad of things that had to go right for us to be here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think uh, our listeners will know that I don't really have. Maybe a, I wouldn't say I have a deep level of conviction on on what there is out there, but I gotta say it just fills me with wonder and awe mm. at the vastness of the universe, at the impossibility of us, and mm-hmm. yet the reality of us, and 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 how small and insignificant. <laughs> there was one line in it: "We are a dust moat caught in a sunbeam." Yeah, I think that's the um, Carl Sagan. Line, yeah, that's right? what, yeah, yeah, and it's just like uh, they quoted in that and. I, I kind of find it odd <laughs> that mm. we can't be in awe of our own lives and our own existence more. Mm, and that yeah. we, we get trapped in uh trapped in the the petty, insignificant, unimportant details and they consume us when it's just a miracle like and not only that, I think of um Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. And perspective is everything. Mm-hmm. Perspective is everything. And so when I see Linus come out and change everyone's perspective, because fundamentally that is what Christmas is about, Christ's mass, right? Like yeah. I'm just in awe of, I want to I want to feel that wonder, mm-hmm. right? The what, glory to God and the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests, I believe is the full quote. And it's like, Favor does rest on us, mm. whether it's God or luck or or the universe, whatever you want to call it, or random happenstance. You get to exist, yeah, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I wonder if um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make a a kind of 
trite or funny observation right after a deep one you made, but uh, here we are. <laughs> I mean, I liked that a lot, right, but right. I wonder if I just made this kind of connection while you were saying that is uh, one of the reasons it's maybe harder to be in awe of the universe is light pollution. We just don't see the stars anymore. I, I think that's part of it. And it just made me think of those huge spotlights and the commercial lighting and the Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like just the inability to see the stars, I think, is one of the things that makes it more myopic to think of the vastness of things, right? So like if you go to a place, like if you're in the country or you're far away from somewhere with lots of light pollution, like this, the night sky is like, like, sure, we can see a couple stars in the city, but there are billions of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. so we're not seeing, you know, 98, 99% of the night sky when we see the night sky in a city, right? And no. I, I just wonder, like, I feel like that's a practical thing that actually well, has made it harder to be in awe of our existence. And here's a cool little fact. So, 2,000-some years ago, Jupiter and another one of the planets and the sun, all this happens once in a very long time. They line up. Mm, right. There's from, probably the, a, from Earth's perspective. There's probably a word for that in astronomy. Yeah. That, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know it either. But uh, it's happening this year. Oh, really? So yeah. first time in 2,000 years? Yeah. Ah. So that's pretty cool. Was there a, uh, a respiratory epidemic in 20? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder for any of you people who are into those kind of things. But oh, what the the point I wanted to make is so part of the Christmas story is that these wise men from the east come to visit Jesus when he's born, and they bring gifts, and they say that the star led them there, and this particular line up of planets and the sun this is what people think they were referring to Mm -hmm. back then obviously uh the ancients studied the heavens way more than we did the mayans had a insanely complex knowledge Mm -hmm. of astronomy yeah i just thought that was a cool little anecdote Uh, totally totally and i think i like that take on it too because it is essentially the categorical negation and opposite of the inward looking yes. moment, yes. right? Which is what all these characters are doing. It's yeah. all inward looking until Linus gives that line, and then it be- can become outward looking. Yes. And I think that that's part of the beauty of the, certainly the social aspect of Christmas is, um, you know, like you, you gather in your, you visit family, and obviously a little harder to do this year, but. You visit family. Maybe you see people you haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it's not only Christmas that does this, but when you go to a place that you haven't been in a while and you see people you haven't seen in a while, you're kind of ripped out of your day-to-day life that's been consuming you for whatever, the last quarter, the last six months, you know? Yes. And you're put, yeah. you're put into that more broad hmm, human category again, right? Goodwill towards men. And you're also like, you're you're you lose a little bit of your individualism when you're place back into that family unit right because you're reminded of your place in a in a structure in Mm -hmm. in an organization of people whoever you choose your family unit to be yeah all relationships friendships families they take compromise right well and i wonder like and and it's even harder in this season because of covid making and we're in another lockdown or like essentially a lockdown in Canada or Alberta right now. And so it's like, 
<laughs> I see it in myself every day for the last several weeks. It's like, I'm like the only person around yeah. <laughs> for so much right. of my life. Right. So I have no like <laughs> even exterior or external force making me think about other people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you just get into these in your own mental yeah. loops of me, 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 I, I, I. And it's like not even in a selfish way, but just in a like no one's around. Yeah. It's a perspective thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, exactly. And so I, I really like that. Um, that take on Linus and yeah. And then it inspires all of them for Charlie to say something like, uh, I won't let all this commercialization ruin my Christmas, which again is like, no, it's coming from in within me. I'm not going to let the external world dictate how I'm going to react to it. Yes, you know, yes. it's like internalizing the data coming in and then choosing how to respond to it as opposed to just the default setting of responding like your lowest common yeah. <laughs> denominator way of doing yeah. it. And then he's in- able, he inspires everybody by not caring what they thought, which like makes them kind of be want to more involved in the tree and stuff. And yeah, I love all that. So yeah, I, I think that there's something really weirdly outward perspective granting to the way Linus talked about those Bible passages. Yeah. You know, which is nice just before we leave this topic though, I guess like I'd want to stay another second on what you see as, cause I, I don't know, like you said something like about how modern Christmas is totally commercial and so saturatingly so that we don't even have a perspective of what it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to stay on that for a second. Like what, what additional things cause that, do you think? What can be done different? Like, I know what you mean, in a sense. Like, I definitely know what you mean, but I also still love the lights, and I still find... Oh, I, yeah, I, I find myself the drawn... Lights. I don't even think of the lights as the commercialized. No, 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 but I know... But there's something... And maybe this is my life. Like, there's something so idiosyncratically special about Christmas to me because of the different ways, like, snow and Christmas lights... And decorations and music just kind of is around at this time of year. And even if I hear a kind of kitschy Christmas carol in a Starbucks, let's say, I still kind of like it. So there's like what, a weird at dissonance. At what point there. do you like it? Do you like it in November? Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And I think the other thing is fair enough. I just don't think that Christmas is about the gifts. No. And I think that it's become a lot about that, particularly for kids. I guess it was for me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But okay, so this is less about Christmas and more of what I think on a just a basic human level, what this time of year is about. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite side of the summer solstice, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and again, I highly recommend that One Strange Rock. But one of the things they talk about is that we wouldn't have seasons if we hadn't been smashed into do by some gigantic. Yeah, yeah, because we're on a, a twenty-three and a half degree tilt. Yeah, I think, which on means our axis. yeah, which means that uh, and if we didn't have that, parts of our Earth would be frozen. Philadelphia would be frozen over. Like we wouldn't be living here because right. it would be a, a gigantic iceberg on sure, the top, yeah. and then parts <laughs> okay. of it would be just scorched. Right. Anyway. So the Goldilocks zone of Earth itself would be a lot smaller. Exactly. But that tilt somehow provides us with life all over the planet. Like, it's 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 crazy to behold. And Christmas is a Northern Hemisphere creation, right? Yeah. Well, and, like, German. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's, it's this um, celebration, which is also a kind of prayer to the universe. Mm-hmm please let the sun come back. Yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where, and there's this great line in Doctor Who. Yeah, I, I watched Doctor Who for all, all you listeners. Uh, I, I think... Or have watched it. I don't, haven't watched it recently. <laughs> Your tone of voice betrays something I don't think is accurate, David. Like, I don't think our listeners are going to judge you for listening, <laughs> for being a Doctor well, maybe, Who fan. I think they'll celebrate that. <laughs> Now, you got, I think you got the right crowd. I mean, <laughs> Matt Smith is is the, my favorite doctor. There, yeah, so, he was uh, the second most recent one. No, he would be the first in the no, the second in the reboot. Oh well, no, the third in the reboot. Yes, yeah, I'm lost in the timeline. Then. There's, there's okay. been Peter and then the the Lady Doctor. Right. Okay. Five. Yeah. So there's this line. If they get, if Doctor Who gets a sidekick, is it uh, Doctor Whom? Because <laughs> they're not yeah. the subject. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Bad joke. So, um, yeah, uh, there's this line, we're halfway out of the dark. And and Doctor Who's big on Christmas. Like, they always have a Christmas yeah. special, and it's a lot of fun. I always enjoyed it when I, when I watched it more regularly. <laughs> well, not to be too big of a teaser for the second part of this episode, but the Brits do a good job at making Christmas lively. <laughs> they do. And they actually, Doctor Who did a Christmas Carol episode, too. Oh, so. perfect, yes. Um, yeah, so I, I just, um, I love that idea. As much as in on June 21st, you know, the longest day of the year, June 22nd. Uh, you Whatever know, it is, yeah. It changes every once in a while. But like the summer solstice and the winter solstice, the, these are old human mm-hmm. traditions, yeah. like as old as, as time almost. You know what? I love that because I want to tie it into the modern and the us and as no. kids. And, and kids is that um, I think actually one of my favorite parts about Christmas, certainly growing up, was anticipation. Yeah. And the building and the building and how like every day is a new day in the advent calendar. And yes, every day yes. maybe <laughs> there's a new present under the tree and you're like wondering what it could be right it's all this imagination like visions of sugar plums dancing through my head kind of thing you know and uh what could be what will be with you know my family and the next and it's like obviously the end of the year even so like there's the new year to look forward to and with you know winter solstice coming out of the dark towards the light again it's very anticipation based and excitement of what's to come and i think that is some of what is so great about Christmas. Is yeah. that excitement? The excitement about what's coming. I agree. I agree. That uh, is tied to that ancient festival. So, yeah, that's cool. I really liked that. Very nice. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and yeah, if you've never seen this, somehow <laughs> watch it. It's really so charming and it's very. You can find it on YouTube, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's how I watched it. It just was in like four minute chunks. Yeah, because it's only like twenty five minutes long, kind of thing. But very much a staple of my youth. So brings us to a Christmas Carol. And before we quite start, um, what is your favorite or most memorable version of this story from your life? I have mine, but I want to know which one you oh, think of the this most. This is so weird. Oh, man. Because there's been, I don't know, I think probably my favorite, hundreds of adaptations my, of my this. My mom read it to me. Oh, really? Christmas, and that would <laughs> probably be my favorite memory of it. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I feel like I've watched so many. I, that, I've always liked the original mm. best, generally speaking. Yeah, makes sense. There, there, there are exceptions, like uh, A River Runs Through It, the movie's better than the book, but... Ooh. I've never read or seen either. <laughs> In the spirit of Charlie Brown Christmas, 
my most memorable version of a Christmas Carol is a Mi- Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, <laughs> the okay. Disney version. I think I remember that one. Yep, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, Scrooge well, McDuck. Time, yes, is yes. Ebenezer, and Mickey Mouse plays Bob Cratchit, <laughs> and you know the family, and then uh, Goofy is Marley. Yeah, and then Jiminy Cricket is the ghost of Christmas Past. Like, there's just really bumbling giant who's the ghost of Christmas Present, and then Pete. <laughs> <laughs> the right dog yes, type yes, character, yeah, I guess, yeah. is the ghost of Christmas Future, and there's a couple other like memorable Disney characters. Anyway, that was the one that I remember the most. And then <laughs> there's also the Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> with yep. Michael Caine, yes. which was a great one. But you know what I realized? To my shame, I don't think I've actually ever read the book. It's one of those crazy. Version. It's like so prevalent in culture that you feel like you already know the story. You because don't need to. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Arguably, this is the most famous Christmas story ever, other than like Jesus. The Christmas story, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Other than the story about Jesus, yes. Right? Yeah. Like, what other one would be in contention? I don't think there as, is one as a cultural. There definitely isn't one. Yeah, I don't no. think so. Like the, like I, I think I mentioned, like hundreds of adaptations have been made of this, like movies, plays, like. <laughs> Uh, like even cartoons even uh <laughs> right? what's that it's a wonderful life is kind of an adaptation of this yeah 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 a little bit yeah, yeah. because he's like he's not there or like he's, getting well, he's to going to see yeah. he gets to see what it would be like with uh, yeah that's true that's interesting maybe that'll be next year we'll do it there wonderful we go life. i love that that would be a good one <laughs> yeah the first thing to talk about is the dichotomy really well portrayed at the beginning i mean in case any of you don't know the story of a christmas carol (laughs) ebenezer scrooge is a miser he gets visited by his former partner as a ghost saying if he doesn't change his ways bad things will happen he's going to be visited by three ghosts ghosts of christmas past present future they show him different things that have happened are happening will happen if he doesn't change he sees the spirit of christmas and he changes (laughs) Yeah, it's a very redemptive and wonderful story, <laughs> but I can't imagine any of that was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the first thing to talk about, though, is the dichotomy between Scrooge and his nephew, because that's like the first kind of exchange we have was we don't even know his name is Fred. I don't think he comes in. We learn that later. But Fred is his nephew and he's played. Oh, and he's played by Donald Duck. Yes. In, in the right. Disney Christmas right. Carol. Right. And I just thought it was an amazing dichotomy, like right off the bat. So uh, there's actually a paragraph I want to read that Fred says, but I want to get your thoughts first on Scrooge and Fred. So I've been, uh, I read Peter Thiel's book on the plane back here. I just flew back to Alberta. uh, And one of the things he talks about is that there's kind of two ways of looking at the world. Hmm. It's either that there's a limited amount of resources and you need to get as much of your share as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Or that there is that innovation right. provides an almost infinite supply of possibility. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Fred, he's trapped in Ebenezer's world, where Ebenezer's convinced that only there's only a limited supply, and he's it's all get, scarcity it's or all zero scar- sum. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's if I give something to you, then I don't have it. As opposed to maybe if I help, you know. There's actually such a hilarious line from the Disney Christmas Carol that screwed Jesus because there's like these two, and maybe it's in a book, there's these two people who come in asking for money for the poor. And he's like, well, this is Scrooge. He says, if I gave money to the poor, then they wouldn't be poor. And then the two of you would be out of a job. 
and you can't ask me to put you out of a job so close to Christmas. <laughs> right? Like, just yeah. that, that, but that kind of that logic made, yeah, that as a joke right? is still yeah. part of what motivates Scrooge. And I think that Scrooge, that that message that has become so prevalent, let's say, in Western culture, but probably globally, that story's known. And it's attacking this idea. Right, it's attacking this scarcity mindset, and I, I'm gonna go maybe outside of the Christmas realm for a second and talk about like Malthusianism. This claim that overpopulation is going to destroy, like we're not gonna have enough food. They were saying that when our population was less than half a billion people. It wasn't wasn't that theory by Malthus? Wasn't that in the 18th century? Yeah, Adam was Smith was responding to right, it almost. Right, right. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't say he was responding to it, but it was around his time. Mm. And every time the doom and gloomers have said, humanity's finished, it's over. We, we've screwed ourselves. We've overpopulated. We're like, you know, human innovation saves the day. Mm. And I think a cultural human innovation that wasn't always there, but that, that didn't allow for, for this kind of prosperity that we have now is love, hmm. is caring about others, is is the Christmas spirit of sharing, yeah. right? Because it used to be you have your little tribe and the other tribe over there has something and you want it, you go and kill them. Mm. Yeah. You don't trade with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, and it's, it's such a perfect dichotomy between Fred and Scrooge because Ebenezer is stuck in this fiduciary mindset. I made a note to read a paragraph and I just, I feel so lucky to do this because this really gives you such a beautiful sense of Dickens prose, who is arguably the greatest prose ever. I mean, certainly in the conversation. So this is Fred responding to basically all of Scrooge's criticisms about like, why would I spend money? It's just another day. Like, you're not getting anything out of it. What's the appeal? Like, what's the draw, right? Often when I read Dickens, I just come across a paragraph that arrests me. Right. (laughs) You know, I don't know how much... I, I think I read a lot more straight out of David Copperfield than any other book we've done. True, so true. I'm I just going to read this. Um, so the context is, Fred is responding to Scrooge. Let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do you. Much good has ever done you. And then this is Fred. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned to the nephew. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time, when it has come round, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of, in the long calendar of the year, where men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely, and to think of people below them as they really were fellow passengers to the grave, and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good, and will do me good, and I say, God bless it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Fellow passengers on the road to the grave. Well, okay, like, as an aside, that is such a paradigmatic Dickens line. Yes. (laughs) Like, fellow passengers to the grave, and not just a a race of fellow creatures. Or different creatures. Different creatures in a different race. And that point is essentially the one you're making, is Fred is saying to Scrooge, like, look, you are right in as far as what you're saying is going, and yet I don't care because I know how to make this more holistic about different things in my life, not just 
profit, <laughs> you know, money, yeah. miserly, which I, which again, maybe like the pure miserliness strikes a weird tone to our modern ear. This would have been a big thing Dickens was railing against in his yeah. time, right? Yeah. It's not quite as cartoonish now with like someone laughingly counting their coins on like you know, yeah. all that, but it's something more like maybe I wonder if it'd be in the modern sense like it's just like attention, right? Like attention is kind of the thing we're miserly about now, where it's like it's hard to get away from your phones, it's hard to get away from your work, maybe it's hard to get away from your quote unquote commitments. It's true and. Fred is saying, look, you think, essentially Fred's like, you think I'm wasting my time, but I'm engaging in a tradition that allows me to feel the joy of existence with other people as fellow passengers to the grave. And you don't even know how to quantify that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like both a, a defense of Fred's decision-making and a bit of pity for Scrooge at the same time, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, I love is. Fred in general in A Christmas Carol because he keeps his heart open to, to like, you're still welcome. You can still come. It's actually a kind of a bit of a reminder of The Grinch, right? Mm, yeah. Um, with, you know, Cindy Lou kind of giving that that moment that, well, this I'm talking about the new movie, but that moment oh, okay. that changes The Grinch's heart a little bit. It gives mm. him that first thought on it. And, like, I think we're all kind of reminded... No, nobody thinks that Scrooge is going to change, mm-hmm. except yeah. Fred. Yeah, and Fred is true. Sorry, Fred doesn't think that Scrooge is going to change, but he keeps on acting as if that's a possibility anyway. And I think we underestimate the value of people like that in our lives who who keep believing in us when the evidence would kind of be pointing to that not being the case. Yeah, because from the way it's been framed, Fred would consider even Scrooge as one uh, another fellow passenger. It takes all kinds, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and Fred sticking to his principle has to include even even Scrooge in that um, formulation, right? So exactly, it was really good. Okay, so I actually found the interaction with with Marley like not that exciting. <laughs> like no. it was just like. You're going to be visited. <laughs> Change your ways so you'll get chains that, like mine. That was it, yeah. Although, obviously, Marley a being the, the, the warning sign, right? Mm-hmm. The This is what could happen to you. I, I was your business partner. Like, I yeah. cared about the same. I, I went before you. This is one of the of the things I, I'm glad I learned at the age I have, but wish I'd learned earlier. Mm. Learn from other people's mistakes. Yes, yes, Oh, yes. my goodness. Like... Do not go and make all of the mistakes yourself and be some stubborn fool who, who, if someone authentically and charitably comes to you and says, look, I made this mistake, mm-hmm. you know, try to avoid it if you can. <laughs> yeah. Listen to them. Well, or at least take into consideration what they're saying. That's a wonderful callback, David, to all the way back to our fourth episode of <laughs> Really True <laughs> Fiction when we did Two Towers, because I think that's what we talked about a lot when we talked about Faramir. Faramir, especially in the films, being able to represent the person who can learn from history, right? Learn Learn from from Boromir's mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, So much of education is getting the benefit without having to pay the cost yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. Obviously, Marley being goofy in the Disney one is so funny. You know, he's just tripping everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I must wear these chains for eternity. 
or maybe even longer. <laughs> you know, like just yes, like this, yeah. this stuff like that that makes a kid laugh. Um, but anyway, uh, so Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Past takes Scrooge to Fezziwigs, which is, I guess, his old employer, and they had like Christmas parties, and he played the fiddle, and you see young young Ebenezer, and um, I just I loved that. In this book, too, because this is something we've talked about, Scrooge was reminded of his passions that he had as a young man. So they even mentioned books like Alibaba and Robinson Crusoe yeah. are in there. And I know we've talked about like revitalizing the things we loved as a kid, aka books. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, which is the heart of our Really, podcast. that's what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he also loses the woman he loves because of his trend toward avarice. avarice right? Yeah. So I don't know. Ghost of Christmas Past. Fezziwig, books, himself as a young man, his shyness, and I then think, falling think, in love with money, which we never really learn how he becomes to love money more. Like, he actually seems like a kind of cool dude or like a fun guy. Yeah, I, I think just that, shy. That's, and then, uh, I mean, I think one of the, the, the reason that this is such an amazing story that has penetrated into every corner of culture mm. i think is that it's the same reason that charlie brown condemning the commercialization of christmas means so much to people mm-hmm. is that we all can get caught up in that yeah we can all forget what we loved mm-hmm. and we can all lose something okay so this goes back to something we've talked about before about having too much choice right and what does money itself provide uh, i've been thinking about this a lot like money what does the love of money give you because i've been sitting there a fragile sense of superiority yeah but it's it, i mean <laughs> it also gives you a massive amount of freedom too much because mm, interesting because what sorry i'm really into this peter Thiel book right now but uh one of the things he talks about is he's like he says People in Silicon Valley will start a company and sell it, and they'll have all this money. They'll give it to bankers, and they have this big amount of money, and they're like, grow it. And the bankers don't know what to do with it, so they give it to fund managers. And the fund managers don't know what to do with it, so they give it to portfolio managers. And the portfolio managers don't know what to do, so they spread it over stock, and it's all about diversification, Hmm. right? And I guess Peter Thiel's criticism here is that money itself has become the thing we're seeking, and he's like, that shouldn't be what we're what we're going after. Right. It should in in his case, it's innovation. It's it's lifting humanity even further out of the you know the mire that that we came from. Mm. Yeah, the the poverty and death and suffering that was so much a part of everyday life, and is something that Dickens is probably one of the best authors on. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean. Think of the suffering of little Timmy, and we'll get to that, right? But that's poverty, like, mm-hmm. and 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 the the pain of a mother and father or you know parent not being able to provide the necessities for their children. Yeah, that's because like the only way that's ever changed ever in all of human history has been innovation. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my my thinking on that is Scrooge loses his sense of wonder mm. and decides that he just wants comfort and safety. And the only thing that makes him safe 
feel safe is more. Mm-hmm. Right? And he can then use that money as a kind of as a as a as a social status buffer like it's what keeps him separate and better than everybody else right yeah like it's interesting how there's different things that do that for people if they're kind of insecure and kind of unsure of what to do and so they latch on to something that has a lot of social esteem which you know wealthy people for the most part have a lot of social esteem yeah and it often like this is i think a sickness of this is that people like culturally it's kind of been we worship the wealthy not how they got their wealth right yeah. but we don't we don't there's not as much attention paid to how wealth was created or accumulated as opposed to just it exists in this person's a bank account and whether we we esteem them or not I think there's also on the opposite end a lot of hatred toward or and envy towards them. Regardless, they just they seem to exist in this other place beyond us. But in my experience, and I, I know some pretty wealthy people, they are really just humans too who have mm. human interests. Yeah. And I find they're even lonelier. Right. Because he, here's what I wanted. To, this is what I wanted to say about the love of money. I mean, which the Bible calls the root of all evil, right? (laughs) Um, But they get treated differently by people just because they have money. And Mm -hmm. most of the way they get treated is people wanting them to give them things. Of course. Right? And so how it's so hard for them to have authentic relationships when they're always wondering what you want from them. Mm -hmm. And... To be friends with those people, really all you have to do is if you're given the opportunity, just treat them like humans and yeah. never ask them for anything. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's kind of my operating system for any variable about people. <laughs> yeah, just treat them like people. Uh, race, people don't. gender, people don't. wealth. And I guess what I would uh, say is, is Scrooge is, is lonely and miserable and probably the least happy person in this entire story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what's interesting, though, or at least no, of note, is that Scrooge, what, is he a money lender or a money yeah, counter? I think so, he's, yeah. so he's not exactly a, like, he's not creating things. No, no, no. <laughs> right? This he's, is my point. It's he's all a finance, about money. He's a it financier has, or something this, like that, right? I have like, a lot of lot of criticism for financiers. Sure, like, yes. I, I think it's the lowest form mm-hmm. of a business person but it feels necessary. like that's what people would be like that's the capitalism to be wary of yes <laughs> or, or like have a magnifying glass on when it's like well how much value is coming out of this particular well, and they make person. the argument that they create a lot of anyway that's a we don't yeah, need yeah. to have a but i mean like the point for this story being scrooge it's not like scrooge is building ships or a blacksmith who's rich, or right? Or trade, or, you or, know, yeah, like yeah. like bringing things of value to people. He's essentially he'd be like putting people in debt. You know, it seems like. And so. I do want to I do want to point out that there's a real and very important uh, role that debt plays in alleviating poverty if you use it right. Like mm-hmm. you can lift yourself out of poverty by by leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So like, here's a good example: buying a house. Yeah, most people. Almost everyone couldn't afford to buy a house if it wasn't for debt. Yeah. 
so there is there is that there's a there is a very real and important role that finance plays so i don't want to i don't want anyone to think that i am so ignorant of that but there are people who use other people's suffering mm-hmm. to make money off well of and them. it feels like scrooge would be the kind of money lender who would like flood a market to build up to, to build or like or or starve it to build demand yes and then just like gouge the interest rate or yeah, something yeah. when he's well, there he's, to he's provide find any way he can and he doesn't care yeah. about anyone yeah. else yeah so anyway to to take it again to ghost of christmas past like i just think it was so illuminating to see because i try to think about this i try to do this consciously as much as possible be like okay how in sync am I with like a younger version of me's values or thoughts about myself when I'm older? And I don't mean in the like naive idealistic manner, but like, you know, you look at Scrooge, the younger version of Scrooge is he's interested in these stories and he's like uh, some sort of apprentice of this Fezziwig guy, which I can't remember what his job was, but it was something more in the trades or in the value creation market. And he had this one young woman that was interested in him and he was interested in, and you just know that that the kind of Scrooge that we see at the beginning of the story is not the kind of Scrooge who's going to think back on those kind of things no. with regret or sadness unless they're confronted kind to of, him, right? He's probably going to kind of mock his former self for like idealism or yeah. something. Yeah, but when he sees it, he's like touched a bit. And I don't know, like it's um, it's a useful thought, I think, about remembering back to... I don't know, like even just the character of Fezziwig reminded me of some of these colorful characters when I was a kid or like a young younger person. Yeah. You know, yeah. just jokesters. I think even of like, not all of them, obviously, but some of the guys I did roofing with when I was like 20 yes. and they were yeah. like 27, 28, who's just like kind of funny and like a little bit silly and teachers, right? Or like one of my first bosses at Subway was just a jokester, you know? And it's like right, these right. these older people when you're like a young person. I remember coming to get Subway when you were working at Subway and be <laughs> yeah. like, oh, he has a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big money. <laughs> Yo, yeah, I mean, Subway's delicious. So I don't know, like just like thinking back and reflecting on that is um, more of that, well, I mean, Christmas Carol, like Charlie Brown Christmas, it's just so much more perspective, right? Like, your life is so much bigger than just what happened today at the counting house. Yes. You know, yes. and I mean, this is why people save photo albums out of a fire, right? Like, just that attachment to that. And and, and that's something that I think uh, Scrooge is obviously <laughs> lost. Yeah. With it's true. Ghost of Christmas Past. Because maybe the idea of there being... Um, in, a, in a way, you brought up David Foster Wallace earlier. He said that these people are well-adjusted, and that's not an accidental term, he would suggest. is like well-adjusted is also like being kind of in some sort of sync or continuity with your former self in the way that that person wanted to be too. You know, obviously, things change, and you have to make new decisions about your life. But like obviously, somewhere along the way, Scrooge changed pretty radically yeah (laughs) right in a way that he thinks when he goes back he would have been kind of ashamed of or not what he would have wanted when he was a young man in Fezziwigs, you know true true so that was kind of neat so then that moves us to ghost of christmas present and i think 
this is a good opportunity to talk about the Cratchit family, ah, <laughs> which yes. is the most of ghost. So what well, I don't know, poverty Cratchit family. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I said a bunch of it, but basically, there, <laughs> there's so much. This is an argument. So I have one group chat with a bunch of friends, and I get in this argument regularly whether there's a nobility to poverty or not. Mm. Obviously, I guess as being raised as a Christian, that's just an ingrained belief, right? That uh, that the poor have an almost kind of superiority mm. uh, on a moral scale. Uh, which is hilarious if you think about it from a Nietzschean point of view, right? I mean, that was his great criticism of Christianity was that it flipped reality on its head and it mm. it, it made the poor more of a, like, and the weak valuable when only yeah. the strong should be valuable. Well, it made, um, it was slave morality, right? Well, and yes, it, it flipped it, things and, on its and, head. And uh, yeah. made a virtue out of something you had no choice but to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I guess that's a, a thought that I have a lot, but... But here's what I will say. Maybe they didn't have a choice of whether or not they were going to be poor, but they had a choice about whether or how they were going to act about it and how they were going to feel about it and the joy and the love in that family. Just the delight of Christmas. Yeah. Like that's my biggest note. It's like the delight of this family and the line nothing is so contagious or irresistible as laughter. No. No. <laughs> right? Which it's is true. Just saturated their house yeah. with their four kids and the two of them. And yeah, the Cratchit family reminded me of uh these, you know, just eccentric families often with lots of children. Yes. That exactly. Are just bouncing every bouncing off the walls and have uh, like these crazy eccentricities to them <laughs> like and, maybe one they're, of the kids they're, they're knows a hundred things about this particular right. frog or something or maybe right? one memorized all the flags and names of the countries well yeah no <laughs> nobody I, I didn't know anybody that <laughs> weird <laughs> who would do that yeah who would do that but you know what i mean like there's just something oh, yeah. kind of like well, familiar about it. yeah yeah yeah, I think so too. I don't I mean, think we lived poverty. I would. I don't want to call it that. No, I, we definitely I, not poverty, but lower middle class. Yeah. Well, and I think in the story, it must be something like Scrooge, if he ever deigned to imagine what went on in the life of Cratchit. Yeah. <laughs> it would be just shame for being Cratchit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Like he would imagine Bob Cratchit is just like has this burden of shame in that he is poor. He can't afford to be anything but like some sort of lowly clerk that Scrooge is gouging himself for wages, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so it's just this kind of um, illuminating consciousness raising scenario to see the way that the Cratchit family lives, even though they don't have the things that Scrooge himself values. Yes. You know, and I think that there is a really powerful real life parallel here. And I'm uh, when you come across people who just the way that they live their life or the way that they respond to the world around them is in some way consciousness raising. Yeah. Like you just can't, you would never have guessed that's how they would have reacted to that thing. And it's more positive, right? Or um, I'm reminded this is a, a more specifically Christian message but i'm reminded of the line from the song take me to your leader by the newsboys oh yeah where, um, <laughs> yeah they don't know what's out there they don't know why they why we care they see us living boy they see our joy something yeah. like that you yeah. know like they they don't um 
Anyway, the idea. <laughs> I brought it up. I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> they don't know why um, we care. They, they don't, don't know, know what's out there. <laughs> don't know how it's done. Just take I me to your leader. Anyway, that's, a, that's like the point of that chorus is um, our joy and happiness is confusing to people who don't get it. Right? Yeah, and it's something similar here where Scrooge is confused at the joy of the Cratchit family. He's like, "How can you be happy?" Yeah, which, which, again, to someone who was open to learning about the world, means you have to take in this new thing as maybe my premise. There's something faulty in my premise. Yes, right, which is something <laughs> the nerd in me brings out is beautifully Aristotelian, <laughs> right? Like the law of non-contradiction. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. If you have a contradiction it can't exist so something is wrong in your premise and in this case something is wrong in scrooge's premise like poverty equals shame equals sadness yeah basically or something like that right it's true whereas the town i grew up in i definitely knew a lot of people more around my parents age who were not as far as i could tell not particularly wealthy and they just seemed to be kind of happy yeah and joyful and I look at my parents, they never had any money, but I don't mm. know anyone in life, I would say, who who enjoys himself and the things that he loves as much as my dad. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> right? Like, like, my dad could play crib with me, and I could play, I mean, him and I got this from him, and now I'm in a chess spiral with my cousin Daniel yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. but uh, to love games. Games are the right kind of addiction. Yes. <laughs> as long as yes. there isn't gambling involved. It's true. Exactly. Or like exactly. money. Maybe, yeah, right? exactly. But exactly. I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm actually getting really kind of pumped about this because I didn't even think about it like this, but just the consciousness raising of learning from other people about the way that they are in the world. Yeah. You know? Well, it's the socializing, which yeah. which 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 takes you out of the myopic mindset mm-hmm. of that Charlie Brown moment, yeah. and pushes you into consciousness raising. Like yeah. you said, it's it, it. I I think awareness is realizing that your default setting is wrong, mm-hmm. or at least insufficient. Yeah, <laughs> which I guess yeah, you're right. Wrong. I don't want to give it a, a moral thing. It's yeah. just. It is a less beautiful way of looking or mm-hmm. being in the world. Well, I mean, we and this is something I would bring up, not to dwell on here, because it's a huge topic and something to talk about in a maybe more philosophically centered episode. But this kind of thing, this Scrooge realizing that the world can be lived and life, and there is a way of being that is different than him, that is totally fulfilling to somebody else is part of why I love reading John Stuart Mill and part of why I love thinking about that kind of liberalism, which is like something like the, the tapestry and the fabric of existence. And there's like room enough for all these different kinds of insignias and patches on it that um, maybe not the patch I would make, but (laughs) I remember, I remember sitting in a in a in a restaurant in Korea at like six in the morning and had been drinking all night with a couple of friends and I thought to myself this is like a joke there's a Catholic an atheist <laughs> and an agnostic and I was like and there's room enough for all of us yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and, and that was kind of my um anyway I know that that's a much bigger topic and a little bit more there's a lot more arguments to be made and all that but that's what that makes me think a little bit about is like um my version slash what I feel like I've inherited uh, from John Stuart Mill of I kind of I feel that, that too. I, I had a a really great moment uh, yesterday where I was on a 
a call with with some people about the future of Canada and talking because mm. uh, I'm I guess I'll pitch my new podcast mm. uh and I yeah, guess is that out yet three days from from when this will be released on Christmas okay um my new podcast will be coming out uh called the Canadian story the tagline is uh what Canada is what Canada could be and what Canada should be but it's just basically a reflection on on how much I love my country and not just me obviously I have a guest on it every week and uh I think I think it's going to be enjoyable to do but the reflection I was having in this conversation uh that was put together by a friend of mine is the people that he'd brought together uh two of them were big NDP supporters one was an academic one of them was an investment banker. One one of them worked at. One of them had built up and sold a startup, and then another one was like a professor at a university, right? And it was mm. it was all these different people, and I just felt such a sense of we got past our ideologies and talked about our love for our country. Mm. And the more I think about it, the more I'm realizing ideologies are the fast food of thinking <laughs> and uh, yeah. if you can if you can go past if you can get past them with people everyone's just people and one of the things i said on this call was you know who benefits from ideology people who pit each other against one another yeah and say to the scrooges the poor hate you and they want your money mm. they hate your success they're envious of you Right. So, you know, we need to keep them down and say to the poor, the rich didn't get their money from doing anything good. The, they they took it you. from you. They yeah. exploited you. And I believe uh, some philosopher you know, I know calls them merchants of rage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eat the rich. Right? David J. Parker. <laughs> Eat philosopher. The, <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> Eat the rich, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that there aren't people who've come by money unjustly and I aren't and I'm not saying that there aren't some poor people who are miserable bitter wretches. Mm. But the more we can be human with one another. Well, and it's a caricature. Yeah. Right? And and, and I think what I love is Scrooge's caricature of the poor is that they're miserable. And just trying to figure out how to steal from him. Yeah. <laughs> and what they care about is their family mm -hmm. and Christmas. Yeah. And loving one another. Yeah. And the kind of like jokey silliness of Christmas when you have like a number of days off. Yeah. With nothing to do. Oh, just but games to just and games fun. and mess yeah. around, you know? I mean, our, I think our families are particularly good at this form yes. of enjoyment. I would agree. <laughs> and then for Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come or Not Yet Come, I, I can't remember how it's phrased in the book. The most memorable part of that to me was him being able to overhear the way everybody talked about him after he died, right? Yeah. I think I mentioned once before on the podcast a really arresting, I think it's a Spanish proverb that says you die three times in your life. You die the first time you learn that you're going to die and that you're mortal and existential in a way that divides you from the other beasts of the earth. Um, you die the second time, your physical death, and you die the third time. The last time, the last your, name time your name is ever spoken on the earth with someone thinking about you while they said it. And I want to maybe add a wrinkle in here where it's like um, <laughs> maybe there's a form of after-death torture <laughs> where you're talked about derisively after <laughs> you've died. <laughs> right? Or right. some twist on it. And yeah, like just because um, this is a weird thing to think about, but like... Does it matter? 
like in some sense this gets into legacy and in one sense i I don't think it matters at all right like are you gonna care no but in in a bigger more important sense i think it matters it's the only thing that matters Hmm. right so maybe there isn't metaphysics but maybe there should be right (laughs) interesting (laughs) yeah well, maybe metaphysics is something so important we had to invent it. Right. Maybe we did. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, think about it even from, I was thinking about this, like, Charles Dickens died, you know, like 140 years ago or something like 150 years ago. And I bet you his name is still said every single day on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere uh, someone somebody says his has. name, yeah. Especially around this time of year. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, how, um, like be inch, like, it's just interesting to think about how he would think about how he's still mostly positively talked about. Like, obviously there's some, I, my guess would be, he probably thought about that a lot. Yeah. I think, and, and I imagine as he got later into his career as well, I think that that becomes a little bit more, well, I don't know. Have you ever overheard people talk about you when they thought you weren't there? Yeah, and I often had conversations reported back to me. Uh, sure, but, but I think yeah. that that's even a different psychological thing than hearing it organically in the moment. True, right? Like there's something kind of well, par- unfiltered. Parents, I guess. I I'm sure I've over. Mm. Have you ever heard? I'm sure you overheard your parents over the years talking about you. A couple times. Sometimes it happens. Like at, not now with COVID, but it's happened at work. Or like at a party like that I'm hosting, I'm in the living room, but I catch a little snippet of something said about me in the kitchen, you know. And obviously, like I'm talking mostly about friends, so it's not, it's either banal or positive, <laughs> you right, know. It's either right. like directions or like Luke said we should do this as opposed <laughs> to like Luke is this kind of person. Right. But the few times that I've it's happened, it, even if it's positive, it's still kind of like, it, it is a bit jarring because it it's talking about you like an object, not well, as I, the subject you're conversing with, right? I guess I had an experience this year where... I was actually just thinking about <laughs> this. Like was a it, media piece. Yeah, uh, well, uh, let's not call them media. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> something you read about published. yourself. A blog was published. Sure. Framing me in a, in a very negative light. And it's funny because at first that was incredibly painful and it had consequences. And I thought, oh... Like, what am I going to do from here? But when I look at it now, it's a great thing that it happened to me, right? Because <laughs> I think when you're confronted by what, what the worst, th- not the worst things, but arguably some of the worst things a person could say about you, but in your, you're exposed that maybe you're most vulnerable, you could take that a couple of different ways. Mm. And I guess actually in the Christmas story, maybe maybe that experience of having that story published about me was my my <laughs> ghost, ghost of, of Christmas, Christmas future. <laughs> yeah, like sure. um interesting. Cause I, I have struggled, I would say, with arrogance in my life. Mm. And that was definitely exposed. And then I think I've talked about on this podcast my my ongoing I'm trying to build an awareness relationship with alcohol and to avoid it as much as possible. Mm. I'm not perfect, but yeah. it's gone so well and my life mm. has, has been so transformed nice. by that. But but yeah, it's uh it's not fun to to confront the shitty things people say about you. Yeah. Well, and I think that 
I mean, I'm just trying to think about the things that would hit home for me most and, and have in those kind of scenarios is the things that I know are true. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. like those things are and more that's what, painful. That's what Scrooge yeah, is encountering Exactly, here. in the book. And, and they're even more painful than like the insults. Or the like, yeah, like flippant remarks. Stupid, it's like, yeah. well, I, I know or, I'm not. Or, yeah. or even like ugly or not funny. Or yeah. like just yeah. like things about your personality or your appearance even. That right, are like, it's well, like, okay. okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can be annoying. But when it's things that even you don't like about yourself, the, I think that's... That you're subconsciously aware of, but you don't let... Or you don't want to think about them because it's painful to like look at yourself. People don't like looking at themselves and being like, wow, I kind of suck. Mm-hmm. But... A big part of the of a Christmas Carol is that if you can do that mm. and actually look at it, I think it might provide a way out yeah. of those things. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it's his um, come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Where, yeah. he, but because he can, like, he knows he can be someone who can contribute pretty heavily into the into the Cratchit's life and the people, the lives around him, and he's not. I mean, what is like, you can't take it with you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Exactly. And yeah, there's something quite wise in that. And then um, there's a great line on the, at least in our book on page 77, best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in, <laughs> you know, yeah. where he, because he essentially gets a second chance, right? Like he gets the kind of, I don't know. You brought up Nietzsche earlier. He he has his own kind of weird eternal recurrence. Yes, scenario yes, he does. Him, he does. Right? Where, yeah. Or or even like Donnie Darko, right? It's actually yeah. probably that's a better comparison. That's a good comparison. I wonder if Donnie Darko has a little bit of a Christmas Carol, <laughs> the most obscure Christmas Carol adaptation, <laughs> Donnie Darko, <laughs> because they're like projected into the future as in a dream. Right? I think they even say like a dream in yeah. Donnie Darko, which is it's specifically a dream for Scrooge. Yes. And they kind of go back to the reality with the remembrance of that so they can think about different choices they're going to make along the way. Oh, what a cool. I love making yeah, thinking I like that. stuff I like, like that. that. So then Scrooge has that the time before him was to make amends in, you know? And I, I don't know. Like, it's like... um. It is a it is a kind of actually now that I think about it a visual very culturally rich version of eternal recurrence yeah <laughs> for Scrooge that is. It's right true. Like, if you had to live this life over a thousand times would you gnash your teeth and wail or would you put your arms around the demon and say thank you thank you thank you right <laughs> you know in the right. Nietzschean flair yeah. that he writes yeah. with <laughs> and saving Tiny Tim and all of that so yeah like his transformation the end of it. As it just, I guess it's probably as simple as the book makes it, right? But well, I think it it's a pretty profound. It's simple, but it's maybe the most profound thing that can making a change from a let's call it an equilibrium. Like that is the hardest thing. Going from zero to one is mm. the hardest thing you're ever gonna do. Yeah, I don't wanna. I don't wanna toot my own horn, but I think I feel like I turned my life around in the last year uh, with the help of a lot of awesome friends and family and. Scrooge, this fictional character, people might think, "Oh, it's just a story." No, I, I think, I think you can. Mm-hmm. I think people should. Well, there's no way this story would be as resonant or all-encompassing in Western culture and and others as it is if it weren't touching on these things like redemption second chances and especially at christmas time like the time of 
birth to rebirth even right like the kind of um a celebration of both the kind of like original pagan yuletide anticipation of out of the winter with the additional christian overlay of a christ is born who will save us from the things that are terrible in the world and like to do that we will you know the, the well, positive even, version even, of this even is even better celebrate the heavens and love each other yeah right? and, well even <laughs> you know? better someone's born who will save us from our uh, ourselves mm-hmm. so this entire season with this story of this like supremely unlikable character who even that person can turn it turn around, it around. <laughs> you know yeah. and and it's it is like i'm i'm noticing this kind of strand throughout so much great literature and specifically we've done on the podcast many many others books is just like this ability to face your own demons and get the better of them by trying thou mayest yeah thou mayest and these themes it's an archetypal theme in in some of the best stories right it's It's the choice one one might say it's really true fiction (laughs) yeah luke skywalker chooses to not become vader yeah right he frodo chooses (laughs) <laughs> well no sorry Frodo chooses to have pity on Gollum and yes. that really is yeah, what yeah, saves yeah, it yeah, at yeah. the end yeah so anyway just before we finish I wanted to um again read because Dickens is just I don't know I if I had gun to my head favorite writer is of it prose it might be Dickens I like that just because it's so wonderful to just it's like a it's an experience like when we talked about infinite jest it's both an experiential treat and a thematic yeah like uh, there's so much to talk about and i feel similar to dickens dickens prose is such an experience well, D- dickens <laughs> is, is a far better prose writer than i than i would argue than david foster wallace yes oh, yes yeah. uh i think maybe for our modern palette the content of infinite jest is a little bit more entertaining yes than oh, and, and, a lot of dickens philosophically works. interesting yeah. right yeah. Yeah, yeah but anyway so this is the very last paragraph of the book Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. Because, again, he saw the grave of Tiny Tim before he saw his own grave. Yes. Ghost of Christmas yet to come. Back to it. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter at the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him." (laughs) He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us, and also, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. I just love the insights with the flourish, hey? Yes. If this is how people were are cut to react, let them be let it be with a grin and not some less attractive malady. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Merry Christmas, everyone! Thank you for listening to our Christmas episode. If you get any value out of really true fiction, we would really appreciate. Uh, if you want to give us a Christmas present, yes, <laughs> a rating or a review somewhere to help with the algorithms, you can send us an email, reallytruefiction at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. 
and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, my name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. May the force be with you. And also with you.